What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Will Ford Show. Thank you for joining me this week. We had a lot of stuff happen in the sports world over the last week. We had Championship Sunday in the NFL, the Conference Championship Games. Those were two really great games. We've had a lot of stuff happen in the NBA. Some head coaching updates to get you guys caught up on. Uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, right now, there are some more. There's some more drama going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So a few days ago, in the Cavs' blowout, blowout loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder, Kevin Love left the game because he was feeling sick and he had a little bit of an illness, and then mispracticed the next day for the same reason. Multiple Cavs players, notably Isaiah Thomas, didn't buy that Love was actually sick. To me, this is absolutely ridiculous. Kevin Love has been the one who has garnered the most scrutiny for anything wrong with the Cavs since the first minute he arrived in Cleveland. Anytime the Cavs have been playing bad, they've blamed it on Kevin Love because his numbers haven't always been great whenever the Cavs play poorly. He's had to play third wheel the entire time he was he's been in Cleveland behind Kyrie and LeBron when Kyrie was still there, and now it's behind IT and LeBron. Now he was the second option for the first half of this year without IT, but now that IT is being reintegrated in not re but integrated into the offense, and he's back somewhat healthy. He's now fallen back to a third wheel because the Cavs are are catering their offense to IT, getting trying to get him back into the flow of things. I think it's totally unfair the amount of scrutiny that Kevin Love gets. And for Isaiah Thomas to come out and say he doesn't buy Kevin Love's story is totally out of line. He hasn't even been with the team for half a season. He doesn't know Kevin Love. If this would have come from LeBron or J.R. Smith or Tristan Thompson, then I then I would feel like there's some kind of truth to it because those guys have been with Kevin Love the last three or four seasons and have built relationships and have built something in Cleveland. Remember earlier this year, earlier in the season, when Derrick Rose left the team for like two months to clear his mind, like he didn't even know if he wanted to play basketball. He had gotten re-injured and he was out for a little bit and then he wanted to take time off because he didn't know if he wanted to retire or not. Nobody even batted an eye when that happened. And they all just welcomed, welcomed him back with open arms. No one said a word. When Derrick Rose said he was taking time off. And then Kevin misses part of a game and a practice because of a sickness. And now people think he's lying? It's ridiculous. 
IT doesn't even know Caleb. He doesn't know Kevin well enough to deduce that he would be lying. If this would have came from LeBron or JR or Amon Shumpert, heck, even Dwayne Wade, because even though Dwayne Wade's only been there half a season, Dwayne Wade's been in this league a long time. He would pick up on these kind of things. IT's been around for a little bit, but Dwayne Wade has way more experience with these kind of things. And I would believe it coming from Dwayne Wade more than I believe it coming from Isaiah Thomas. If it was coming from one of those guys, I would totally get it. And that would be bad on Kevin Love's part. But I don't want to hear it from IT. I'm sorry, I just don't. I'm totally on Kevin Love's side here. And the way the season is going for the Cavs, I don't think they're going to make the finals, like I've said previously. And if they want to make a big deal before the deadline, like they've been talking about getting George Hill or DeAndre Jordan would be a big splash for them. But if they really want to make a deal, I would consider trading IT. Because right now, IT really isn't fitting into the offense. And the team's lost 10 out of their last 13 games and 6 out of their last 7. He isn't gelling well with the Cavs' offense. Granted, he's he's still kind of hurt. He isn't completely back yet. But when LeBron, Kevin Love, and IT are on the court at the same time, it's not working. That's not the main reason I consider it, though. IT, when he came to Cleveland, it was understood from the get-go that he would have a lot to prove this season. Because right now he's playing for a new contract. And with the injury he sustained in Boston, he would really need to play well coming off of that injury to get a max deal or a very lucrative deal. And if he and LeBron don't work out, the Cavs may not re-sign him. He could also walk at the end of the season if the season doesn't end well and or if LeBron leaves again, which is a high possibility, I think. I think it's I think it's better to trade IT than possibly get nothing for him if you don't resign him or if you let him walk. Kemba Walker Walker is out on the market right now. And he is a downgrade from Isaiah Thomas, but I would much rather have Kemba Walker than nothing if you don't re-sign IT at the end of the year. Kemba is better than letting IT walk out the door. And I would really consider it if I were the Cavs if I want to make a big deal come the trade deadline. LeBron, LeBron James became the seventh player in NBA history to reach 30,000 points 
the other night versus the San Antonio Spurs. And now he is the he is the only one of those seven players to have 7,000 rebounds and 7,000 assists to go with those 30,000 points. And he is also the youngest to reach 30,000 points ahead of Kobe Bryant. This is a total testament to LeBron's greatness. This, this is really crazy because scoring isn't even LeBron's strong suit. LeBron is a pass-first guy. That's crazy that it, it's almost like he's a quiet scorer. We don't think of him as a quiet scorer, but we always think of him as a pass-first guy. So when you see the 30,000 points next to those 7,000 assists, it's incredible to think that he's the youngest guy to score that much, but also have 7,000 assists and 7,000 rebounds. He might be the greatest all-around player in NBA history. Now, don't mistake that for the greatest player of all time, because I factor winning into that too, but in terms of all-around skill and game, LeBron, I think, is the best the NBA has ever seen. And to go around with all that all-around talent, he's just a physical, athletic freak. People would argue that he's the best scorer ever, but I disagree on that, despite how great he is. I think MJ and Kobe are better scorers than LeBron. And I was talking about this with one of my friends the other night. It took Michael Jordan one last season to reach 30,000 points, and he had two seasons where he played less than 20 games. That's crazy. MJ was also 50 pounds lighter and two to three inches shorter than LeBron and played in an era that was dominated by post players like Elijah Wan and Patrick Ewing and in a league where defense was a priority. It was played by every, every team in the NBA. It was a very gritty, old-school type of basketball. If LeBron were Michael Jordan's size, I don't think he would even compare. And let's remember, LeBron right now plays in an era where virtually no defense is played. Now, as far as Kobe is concerned... Kobe reached 30,000 points in his 17th season, which is two seasons more than LeBron. And people would say, well, that's worse than LeBron. But you got to remember, Kobe didn't start his first two or three years in the league. He had to play behind Eddie Jones for the first couple years of his career. And then once he was finally in the limelight. He had to play second fiddle to Shaq. And Shaq is probably the most dominant force the NBA's ever seen. Nobody could stop him. That has a great impact on Kobe's numbers. He had to play with Shaq until about 2004. And by then he was already 
a number of years into his career. I think Kobe would have smashed the 30,000 mark around year 13 or 14. Had he played some more in early in his career, I think he would have smashed 30,000 by around year 13 or 14. And Kobe would probably be the league's all-time leading scorer if it hadn't been for all those injuries he suffered at the end of his career. Like the last three or four years of Kobe's career, he was just plagued with injuries. The, when, Toby, when Kobe tore his Achilles in the 2012-2013 season, Kobe might as well have just retired then because he was never the same after that injury. Yeah, he had his moments. He had the, the amazing 60-point game to close out his career. He had a lot of other great games and great stretches, but he was just never the same player and could never get back to that elite Black Mamba Kobe Bryant. Kobe definitely would have been the all-time leading scorer in the league by a mile. I definitely think Kobe and Michael Jordan are better scorers than LeBron. But LeBron is still undeniably terrific and is definitely one, one of the greats when it comes to scoring the basketball. So not to take anything away from LeBron, he's great, he's tremendous, but I think Kobe and Michael Jordan are better. All right, staying in the NBA, NBA All-Star Weekend is coming up, and the big story this year is the new format we have for the All-Star Game, and it's the NBA All-Star Draft, where the two leading vote-getters, one from each conference, the two leading vote-getters from each conference, get to be team captains, and then they draft based on, they draft the players who were also selected as the starters and the reserves. So they draft the players voted in as starters and then the players who were voted in as reserves. And they, they have a draft out of it. I think it's a really, really fun way to spice up the All-Star game because it's kind of been boring the last few years because it's, it's always East versus West. There's no defense played ever. And I think this would be a really great way to have some fun with it. And it's perfect that Steph Curry and LeBron James are captains this year since they've been going head-to-head -head in the finals the last three seasons. So it's perfect. LeBron got the first pick this year because he finished first in the All-Star voting. And by the way, I think it's a shame that the draft wasn't televised. Players didn't want it televised because... They didn't want feelings to get hurt, which I think is kind of ridiculous. But it would have been so fun to watch if it was televised. And I think in the within the next year or two, it'll probably be televised. I couldn't imagine LeBron. I couldn't have imagined him taking anyone other than Kevin Durant with the first pick. And then if LeBron took Durant, then I think Curry, I would have thought Curry would have taken Ante Tacumbo. And that's exactly what happened. 
I'm going to go through the starters for Team LeBron and Team Curry. Uh, LeBron took Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and Kyrie Irving. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. And then Team Curry was Giannis, James Harden, Joel Embiid, and DeMar DeRozan. Now back to Kyrie. I didn't think LeBron was going to pick Kyrie. I honestly didn't think so. I just figured LeBron would try to create a little bit, bit of drama because he's a bit of a drama queen or drama king. And I just figured he would have not picked Kyrie and Steph would have picked him. And with a team LeBron's got, LeBron can run the point. Which is, I think, exactly what he's always wanted, was to run the point. And he's got some highly athletic players with a lot of length on his team. Anthony Davis, Durant, Cousins is big and strong. And, and then Kyrie will be handling the ball. We'll see what Kyrie and LeBron will do. We'll see if Kyrie and LeBron... Have any beef out there? I, I don't think it, it'll be that much of a problem, but it's going to be fun to watch. And then Curry's team, I think, is is more balanced than LeBron's because he's got a shooting guard in DeRozan. He's got Embiid playing the center. He can put Giannis at the four, and James Harden can either be the two or three, depending on how they want to do that with DeRozan. I, team Curry is more balanced, but I am still giving the edge to LeBron's team because he's got Durant and Kyrie, and they're, there's just too much length to work with. So my early prediction for the All-Star game is Team LeBron to win. All right, we're going to segue... We're going to move over to college hoops. We haven't talked about college basketball in a while. Uh, top high school recruit Zion Williamson committed to Duke just recently. And to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of surprised because he's a hometown kid from South Carolina, and I figured he would have committed to either South Carolina or Clemson and stay close to home. But Zion is great. He is just a pure athlete. He is His in-game finishes and dunks are incredible. He is so athletic. And now he's going to the best program in college basketball in Duke with the best coach in college basketball in Mike Krzyzewski. So he's going to be set up to have a great college career. And we'll see what he can do here in a year. And then... Remember a few weeks back, I talked about Marvin Bagley out of Duke being the clear-cut number one pick, in my opinion? Uh, yeah, I've definitely changed my mind on that. Trey Young out of Oklahoma is the best player in college basketball, without question. He is the second coming of Steph Curry. Remember Davidson Steph Curry? Yeah, I think Trey Young might be better than that. 
Trey Young can hit from anywhere on the court. He, he literally pulls up from 30-plus feet in transition. And those aren't just heat check shots. Those are, those are his shots. That's his range. Those aren't heat checks. And his court vision is far and away better than what Curry's was when he was at Davidson. I think this kid would fit in perfectly with today's NBA with how teams shoot the ball now, how teams are gravitating towards ball movement and shooting the ball. He's averaging 30 points, 4 rebounds, and almost 10 assists, 9.6. Those are incredible numbers for a college point guard. He's only a freshman. Here are his shooting percentages. His field goal percentage is 45%. His three-point field goal percentage is 40%. And his free throws are almost 84%. And he's only a freshman. That's incredible. If a team at number one needs a guard, he is definitely the number one pick. And then this other kid, DeAndre Ayton, out of Arizona is another guy that I really like and I think I would take over Marvin Bagley in the draft. Statistically, they're virtually the same. Bagley averages slightly more points. And here's a look at their stats. Points per game, Bagley 21.6, Aiton 19.7. Rebounds are virtually the same, 11.5 for Bagley, 11.1 for Aiton. And their assists are the same at 1.6. But the one glaring difference to me about Aiton that benefits him is that Aiton's shooting percentages are marginally better than Bagley's. Aiton is 7 foot 1, 250 pounds. And he shoots 71% on free throws and 32% from the three-point line. That's those are incredible shooting numbers for a guy of that size. And he moves tremendously well for his size too. I've watched some highlights where he was just he was taking guys off the dribble with the ball from the free three-point line. And he was shooting pull-up jumpers. And he can catch the ball and face you up and, and shoot fadeaways. And the kid just looks incredible for his size. I would definitely draft him over Marvin Bagley. And that's not taking anything away from Bagley. Bagley is still a tremendous player. But if I'm a team drafting number one, I'm looking at DeAndre Ayton and Trey Young. And then Bagley is probably three. All three of those kids are incredible. All right, we're going to move on over to the NFL. We got some NFL head coaching updates. Right now, Matt Patricia, the DC for the New England Patriots, is the lead guy for the Detroit Lions job. And he more he will not obviously we won't hear word on whether or not he's accepted that until after the Super Bowl. And then Josh McDaniels is slated to take the Colts job in Indianapolis. Again, we're not going to hear anything about that until after the Super Bowl. 
So those two guys are the front runners for those jobs. And then the Panthers defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, is the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Like I've said before, he is uh, an extremely smart guy, knows a lot of defensive schemes. He's great defensively, searching for talent. And Larry Fitzgerald said he he might retire depending on who the next coach is. So we'll see if Steve Wilkes can keep Larry Fitzgerald around for a few more years. And then Pat Shermer is the new head coach of the New York Giants. And this was announced immediately after the Vikings lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship game on Sunday. And I think Shermer definitely deserves this opportunity. He only had one season in Cleveland, which if you coach Cleveland, you're probably going to get fired after a year anyways. Uh, so he definitely deserves another shot. He's going to get it in New York. My big question, though, is, is he going to bring Case Keenum with him? Because he did great things with Case Keenum this year. Case Keenum was tremendous. So I don't know if, if Case Keenum will go with him. I don't know if he might target him. But I think he's probably going to roll with Eli and draft Josh Rosen in the NFL draft. But that's a great hire for the Giants, and they should be turned around going forward. All right, I want to do something new this week. I've been seeing a lot of sports shows out there talk about their top 10 NFL quarterbacks. Colin Cowherd did it recently. So I want to give my top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Number one, I have Aaron Rodgers. I think he is the most valuable quarterback in football, and it, it proved itself this year with him being out. Because I don't think Minnesota goes as far as they do uh, with Aaron Rodgers on the field. If Aaron Rodgers plays this year, doesn't break his collarbone, I don't know if the Vikings would go as far as they did. Still a great team, not taking anything away from the Vikings, but Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. Number two, the GOAT, Tom Brady. And I only have to, I have Tom Brady at two just because of his age. And I think if you take Tom Brady away from that team and you put someone else in there, like when Jimmy G was still there, they would be a playoff team. Jacoby Brissett in there, I think they would be a playoff team. Brian Hoyer, their current backup starting, I think they would be a playoff team with Brian Hoyer. So it's just the system, I think, is more important than Tom Brady. But I've got Tom Brady at two, Drew Brees at three, who I think is really underrated and forgotten about in the NFL. We haven't been really talking about him in the last couple years. And right now, he is a, he's a free agent. So he is a one of the top quarterback free agents out there, along with Case Keenum. Sam Bradford is a free agent. Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent. 
Kirk Cousins is a free agent this year. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in the market this year. And Drew Brees is probably number one on that list for quarterbacks. Oh, and I forgot Jimmy Garoppolo is a free agent this year. Jimmy Garoppolo is number one on that list, then Drew Brees. So there are a lot of good quarterbacks out there on the market. Ben Roethlisberger at four, who said he's he's thinking about sticking around for another couple years now that his offensive coordinator, Todd Haley, was fired because they've been having beef the last few years, and he talked about retirement, but now that he's gone, he's changed his tune. Carson Wentz at five. I would honestly have Wentz probably in the top four or three just if it weren't for the injury. He is definitely going to be up there next year. Uh, he is just tremendous, and I, I would think with Carson Wentz in the lineup, the Eagles would have a real chance against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson at six, Andrew Luck at seven, and Andrew Luck I think is a little overrated. He's been injured a lot. He's had some great years. He led the Colts to the AFC Championship a few years ago, but I think he's overrated. Number eight, Phillip Rivers, who I think is a Hall of Famer. Number nine, Matt Ryan, who I've given a lot of heat but is good in the playoffs. And number 10, Derek Carr. I tweeted my top 10 quarterbacks to the herd and to Colin Coward. So that's on there, but I will also repost it after I upload this episode so you guys can see that. We're going to uh, move on. Now, before I get to conference championship recap and Super Bowl predictions, I want to talk about something that's very important in the world, in the sports world, and really in the world in general. Something important that's, that's going on. I'm sure some of you have heard about Larry Nassar, the former trainer and team doctor for the USA Gymnastics team, who also worked at Michigan State for some time. He's guilty of sexually abusing hundreds, hundreds of female gymnasts on the USA team and many others at Michigan State. We don't know how many others, but I'm sure it's a lot. Stories have come out about Michigan State that he, that he did all this there too. Several girls in, in the, his court case, several girls including Allie Raisman and Jordan Weber, to name just a few, and there was a lot that came in, confronted, confronted Nasser in court. One girl couldn't said she couldn't wait until he died. And one girl said that she believed in forgiveness and wanted to forgive him and wanted him to apologize to her on the spot in court, which he did. And one girl who had been abused for several years tried to talk to her parents about it. And several of her parents, or several of her parents, that's, Sorry, uh, and her parents wouldn't believe her. And 
And then when word came out that he had actually been doing this, the dad committed suicide. And that's, that's horrible because he, he felt so bad about what he did to his daughter, not listening to her. So it's a horrible, horrible thing. It's horrible. This isn't a joke. None of this is a joke. This is real stuff. Nasser wrote a letter to the judge complaining that he had to listen to these girls testify for four days and that it was bad for his mental health. And he also complained about the publicity the case was getting. I'm sorry, but Larry caused so much pain for these girls over the years. And these girls have to carry what happened to them with them for the rest of their lives. Four days of testimony doesn't even compare to the years of trauma he caused. The absolute least Larry Nasser can do is listen. It's disgusting. He is such a sick man, and I think he truly believes he hasn't done a single thing wrong. He also wrote in his letter that everything he did was for medical purposes. It's just so sick, and I don't think he's remorseful at all about it. He was sentenced to 65 years a while back for child pornography charges and now has been charged or been sentenced to a 175 years on top of the 65 for the sexual abuse. That's basically his death sentence. When a female claims they've been sexually abused, we need to listen. As society, we have to listen. This isn't a joke. I hope these girls find peace and are able to move on and continue to do great things in their lives. I just wanted to cover that story because we need to raise awareness about women's sexual abuse. And it needs to stop, and we need to listen whenever we hear about it. All right, let's close out the show on a high note. Let's dive in to Championship Sunday recap of the conference championships. The Patriots defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 24-20 in the AFC Championship. Now I thought this game was poorly officiated. The New England Patriots had one penalty all game. One penalty all game. And Jacksonville had six. So it wasn't like totally skewed in New England's direction. 
Like, if it had been 15 to 1, that would be horrible, and there would be reason to believe that that game was fixed. But I thought the game was, was officiated poorly. There was a couple good calls. The Gronk hit to the helmet was definitely a penalty. But there were some pass interference calls that I thought were very ticky-tacky. I didn't like them. And it it cost the Jags a touchdown late in the first half. The Jags probably would have walked into halftime up 14-3. to Instead, it's 14-10. to While I thought the officiating was bad, I don't think the officiating was what lost Jacksonville the game. To say that officiating lost the game for the Jaguars would be egregious because the Jags gave it up in the fourth quarter. It was a great comeback win for Brady and the Patriots. And they had so many things stacked against them. And I want to give you guys eight things the Patriots had working against them in this game. They didn't have Gronk in the second half because of the concussion he suffered on the hit late in the first quarter, late in the first half. They had no running game, and they really haven't had one all year. Tom Brady had 12 stitches in his right throwing hand. And that's crazy that he he had 12 stitches in his hand, and we didn't know what was wrong with his hand during the game until after the game. We had heard stuff all week about, oh, Brady hurt his hand in practice, but they weren't giving any details on it. And then we find out he has 12 stitches. That's pretty great when you play through 12 stitches in your throwing hand. It wouldn't be that big a deal if it was your non-throwing hand, but your throwing hand. Like, grip has got to be a major concern. Concern. So they had that working against them. They have the distraction of both coordinators being the lead guys for new jobs. That's got to be something that's talked about somewhat in the locker room. There's the distraction of the power struggle between Kraft, Brady, and Belichick. That came out a few weeks ago that there had been some turbulence in that relationship and the whole thing with Garoppolo and and trading him away and 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 then there's the whole thing with Alex Guerrero, Tom Brady's personal guru and trainer. So there, there's that distraction working against them. And then late in that game, Deion Lewis had a turnover, had a fumble. That could have easily put the game away if the Jags had scored on that ensuing possession. They had the ball 10 fewer minutes than the Jags. The Jags dominated time of possession in this game. And then they had a 10-point fourth quarter deficit. 
they had a lot working against them in this game. Crazy. But that's why they're the greatest coach. That's why they're the greatest coach and quarterback. And the greatest system. And probably the greatest franchise in NFL history. Brady and Amendola carried the Patriots to win. Amendola was great. He had two touchdowns in this game and he had and he had a touchdown that put them in the lead. And I feel so bad for the Jaguars. I really wanted to see the Jags in the Super Bowl. Blake Bortles played the greatest game of his career. And somehow that wasn't enough. Because that defense always plays great. They had Brady on the ground a lot. They forced a lot of incompletions. And Blake Bortles didn't turn the ball over. The Jaguars are undefeated this year when Blake Bortles doesn't turn the ball over. And then they played the Patriots. It doesn't matter what you do against the Patriots. Because 99 times out of 100, you're going to lose. Bortles is more than deserving of the $19 million team option that the Jags have on him. He's more than worth that. I would pay him $20 million to be my quarterback. When you show up in the AFC Championship against Tom Brady and almost outplay Tom Brady, and you don't turn it over, and you don't cost your team the game, you're not the reason why your team lost the game, you're definitely a starter in this league. You definitely deserve to get paid. And you're definitely a franchise quarterback. Blake Bortles was great. I was so rooting hardcore for Blake, Blake Bortles. Imagine the headline we would have seen the next day. Jags beat Patriots. That would have been a crazy story to write. And a crazy story to cover. I don't know what the media world would have done if they had to advertise a Jags Vikings or Jags Eagles Super Bowl. That would probably be the hardest job is advertising a game with the Jags over the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Blake Bortles versus Nick Foles. Imagine advertising that game. But the Patriots are, are just great. They're amazing. And then over now to the NFC Championship game. The Eagles crushed the Vikings 38-7 in Philadelphia. This was totally unexpected. I had the Vikings winning this game. And I think a lot of other people did too. Maybe not Philadelphia. People that live in Philadelphia. But a lot of people had the Vikings winning this. Case Keenum didn't play terrible in this game. But he wasn't great either, obviously. He had two picks, and one was a pick six. But he was pressured on a lot of throws. He was hit a lot, pressured a lot. 
And the Vikings defense, which is like top two in the league, was eaten alive by Nick Foles. Like if it was Carson Wentz, I would totally get it. I would totally get it if it was Carson Wentz. But it was Nick Foles, a backup quarterback. Nick Foles torched the Vikes for 352 yards and three touchdowns. Again, the run-pass option is really effective when Foles runs that kind of offense. And the Eagles' defense played great. The Eagles have been underdogs all playoffs. They're probably the, they are the first underdog number one seed to make the Super Bowl. And the first ever underdog number one seed. It's crazy the things they've had to go up against, the odds they've had to go up against without Carson Wentz. To me, this almost proves that Carson Wentz, had he played the whole year, he wouldn't have been the most valuable player. Now, he probably would have won the award still because I think the MVP is it goes to the player who had the best season. But if anything, this proves that Carson Wentz isn't the most valuable player in the NFL. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers proved why he's the MVP by not even playing. The Packers were horrible without him. Tom Brady will win the MVP this year. And that's because Aaron Rodgers didn't play. But again, I made that case that if you put another quarterback in there for the Patriots, they're still good. Remember Matt Castle when Tom Brady got hurt back in like 08? They went 11-5. and They didn't make the playoffs because the AFC was really good that year. The Jets won that division with Mark Sanchez and made the AFC championship. But they were still 11-5 and with Matt Castle. To me, the MVP should go to the player who, if you take him off of their team, what kind of impact that has on their season. In the NBA, it's LeBron James. And in the NFL, it's Aaron Rodgers. And Nick Foles, by the way, has some real trade value. He has some real trade value by getting this team to the Super Bowl against the odds that he had. Like, never mind winning it. He doesn't have to win it. That trade value is there. But if he wins the Super Bowl and brings Brady, can you imagine how much more trade value he can accrue? A team would give up a first-round pick and maybe a little bit more for Nick Foles. And if I'm the Eagles, I'm all over that. I am all over that if I'm the Eagles. Nick Foles can, is definitely now a tradable player, and you can get a lot of great assets for him. But now to this Super Bowl. I was half right in my prediction for this year's Super Bowl. I had the Pats right, didn't have the Vikings. I definitely like the Patriots in this game. 
it makes it hard. It's hard to bet against the Eagles because I've been betting against them the whole time and they've been winning. But it's New England. I think this will be Brady and Belichick's last ride together. And they'll get their sixth ring. And the reason why I think this is Brady and Belichick's last year is not because of all of the drama. Like, that's obviously a factor. But after the AFC Championship game, there was a video of them hugging on the sidelines. And in it, you hear Brady say to Belichick, one more time. Which is why I think this is the last go-around for them. That either means they'll both retire or Brady's retiring. Because I see Brady retiring before Belichick. But who knows, because Brady came out with that Tom vs. Time documentary. So maybe he's sticking around and he, he thinks he still, have, he still has more to prove. Which he doesn't have more to prove. Win or lose this Super Bowl, nothing happens to Tom Brady's legacy. We already know he's the greatest quarterback to ever set foot on this earth. He's the greatest to ever touch a football. Nothing changes if he loses this Super Bowl, and nothing changes if he wins it. He has the, the record for most Super Bowl appearances with eight, and he's got the most by a QB with five. So right now he's 5 of 7 and can potentially be 6 of 8 or 5 of 8 and nothing is going to change. And he's either going to continue to play next year and then retire after that or he'll retire this year. Give me the Patriots to win Super Bowl 52. I'm sticking with my original prediction, Super Bowl winner. For obvious reasons. The Philadelphia underdogs luck has run out. Give me the Patriots to win 31 to 17. And we'll see if Tom Brady rides into the sunset with his sixth ring. Or sticks around for another year or two. All right, everyone, that's the show. Follow me on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. Rate and review on iTunes. That helps out a lot. Please rate and review on iTunes. Uh, once again, follow me on Twitter. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you next week. This has been. The Will Ford Show.